beautiful people and welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for this conversation today with Caroline Hauser, German trained naturopathic doctor, humanistic psychotherapist and family constellations facilitator. Caroline is also the author of award-winning book Blossom. I met Caroline at an ecstatic dance in Sedona, Arizona, and once she started to tell me about the work that she does, I was particularly triggered. Bonding-based lovemaking is a form of sex where both partners do not orgasm. If you listen to the podcast about non-ejaculatory sex, you would know that in that non-ejaculatory sex act, the woman orgasms all that she wants, and so does the man, he just doesn't ejaculate. Having no orgasms, for me is a foreign subject and something I really just had to learn more about because what is that? And coming from a woman who is glowing and absolutely radiant with her partner at Ecstatic Dance, what she's doing is working. So that being said, in this episode, Caroline discusses her anorexia and bulimia, her discovery of having sexual trauma in her life, and how she evolved into doing the work that she does now. So let's just get right into it enjoy beautiful people hello caroline hauser i'm so excited to have you on beautiful people podcast for people listening please explain what you do thanks for having me well i help couples reconnect in intimacy and basically help them bring the spark back by teaching them a new way of lovemaking which is really new to this world I did not invent it, but it's a way of lovemaking that creates a deep emotional, physical, spiritual bond, and is also very healing for our nervous system and our immune system and our hormone system. And um, yeah, it's just a really different way of living and connecting with each other. That's what I mostly do. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So how did you get into this work and what is your background experience with sexual intimacy i know that you're a naturopathic doctor which i will read the bio prior to releasing this podcast but what is your sexual intimacy story yeah so i actually i have written a book which is called blossom seven steps to sexual healing and um it's a sexual trauma healing book and it's also my story i didn't know i was sexually abused until in my 30s from about age 10 to 20, I was severely anorexic and bulimic, and I couldn't figure out why. My parents got divorced around when I was 12, so I had already had the eating disorders by then. <clears throat> and so I really had I had no clue why I was having these eating disorders. And um, when you have an addiction, which bulimia is, and, and anorexia both are, you know, fall under addictions, when you have them for over two, 10 years, you're... Um, chances of survival statistically are ten, uh, 5%. So by the age I was 20, I was not sh- very not sure if I would even live to see 30. All I wanted was just have a normal life, be able to have a relationship and have children. And, you know, my body was in no shape or form and my psyche was not in a mental state to even have a relationship or, you know, have kids or anything like that. Luckily, my mother never gave up. She slept me from like Indian guru to Buddhist monk to art therapy to primal screaming, you know, like <laughs> everything, like everything. She would cut, you know, you name it, she would like bring it. And um, when, like right about my 20th birthday, maybe a little before, she found family constellations, which is a modality. 
that works with ancestral trauma and trauma healing. And um, she bought me a ticket to a weekend workshop. And because I really wanted to heal, I, you know, I would participate in these things. And so I went to that workshop, um, had a, received the session, which took like 45 minutes and um, went home. And I felt like, you know, something shifted, but I didn't quite put two and two together. But then over like a three or four months period, maybe six months, you know, like some months after, I all of a sudden was able to do things I had never been able to do before, like going to the store, buying a bunch of food and then not eating it, you know, and before I never had had the willpower to do so, you know, once mm -hmm. like there's like a flip switched and I was just like autopilot. I had, I had no power over this addiction thing. And so then by like the six months went by or so, and all of a sudden it was totally like, I, I wouldn't even have an urge to go eat a bunch of food or, you know, I was just, I was all of a sudden normal. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden it seemed like, and then somebody asked me how I had been doing the last few months. And I told them that, you know, I, I have been able to beat these eating disorders. And, and then a light light went over like, hold on. Like I had the session like six months ago. Mm. And I put two and two together and realized that really that, that one session was the turning point. And once I realized that, and like, I realized it with the help of my friend, when I had that conversation, he said, Oh my God, like, if you know of something that can help, you know, shift like such severe addiction and stuff, you need to learn this. And so that's what made me go to naturopathic doctor school. And I trained to be a humanistic psychotherapist in Germany and uh, just immersed myself into the world of family constellations, started traveling, uh, you know, other people in their twenties, they go to college and buy a house. I spend the same amount of money on traveling and, and teach and, and learning from all kinds of people that were masters in this modality. So that's how I got connected to it. Mm. And then in my thirties, when, when I had my, I did, I have children now. So um, when I was 33, my daughter around 33, my daughter turned three, when my daughter turned three, um, my memory started coming back. And then I was able to put two and two together because my abuse had started when I was three. Oh. So it took for me, you know, it took for me to really go through my twenties, do a lot of healing work, finally be in a stable relationship, you know, have my first child. That's when, um, that's when my subconscious was willing to release the information. Mm. Yeah. So in the midst of the eating disorder, were you in any relationships at all or were you very kind of sexually shut down? Um, so unfortunately when I was 13, I got, I had another incident of sexual abuse and, um, that didn't help. And then I did, I did have some relationships, but I was very, I was very emotionally shut down. Like, and I would go through phases, but basically from like 15 to 18 on, I was very just secluded and like, a, I, I ended up dropping out of high school and working at a theater and I just became like totally enthralled with working at the theater. That was my world. Mm. Yeah. So, and like kept people at a, when you are bulimic, you really live a double life because nobody sees, you don't look, I wasn't that skinny. I mean, I was skinnier than I am now, but not to the point where I looked like I was anorexic, you know? And so the detriment with bulimia is that you can hide it very well <clears throat> and you, you do, and you start hiding it. And because, um, it's an addiction that requires money because if you want to eat a lot of food, it costs a lot of money. You know, you, you, it's, it's almost like, well, I think in the literature and in psychology, it is compared to heroin addiction because you do need to make money somehow and get money to get your stuff, you know? And mm. so you, like I started living a very, um, 
yeah, double life. And, and that's what's so detrimental about it. Yeah, so it's hard to have a relationship, you know, when you're, mm. when you're lying and doing things. and Right. Yeah. So what is your sexual experience now? And with this whole process that you went through, overcoming the eating disorder, discovering your own sexual trauma, how has this affected the depth that you can go in now with the relationships that you have sexually, which for me shows that you're very vulnerably open now yeah. because this also seems like a very vulnerable conversation to be having with many marriages and couples. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, it's just peeling away the layer. It's really been peeling away the layer. So in my twenties, I mostly just had sex high, you know, like I couldn't really have intimacy. I couldn't really relax. I couldn't really enjoy it unless there was alcohol or pot or something involved, you know? And then as I went on my healing path, like those addictions or those things, it wasn't really addicted to pot or alcohol, but I would, you know, I would use it to relax basically. And so the healthier I got, the more these things would fall away. And then it was just a very unnatural process to um, get to a place where it just became way more normalized. And I have to say the, I kept doing family constellations and I did receive, you know, several like key constellations around the sexual abuse theme and, and definitely writing the book. And um, not that it was necessarily a cathartic experience, but really connecting that, when I first found out it threw me for a hoop because I had been already coaching and mentoring people and being a healer, you know, and I was like, Oh God, like, here we go again. I've just spent my whole twenties working on myself and now there's more. And so it threw me for a hoop for a couple months. And then it really clicked in that like, this is connected to my purpose and I need to like be open about this. I need to involve other people in what the things that I'm doing to help myself. And so very quickly it became, you know, about like other people helping other people Mm. And that was a big, you know, that still to this day, you know, that's uh, what's super helpful when it's not about me, when it's really in service to other people. Mm. So in the work that you do with marriages and couples, what do you see to be the biggest conflict? And I also want to reflect back to when I see what, when I saw you at the ecstatic dance, you were mentioning a book. And I want to dive deeper into what that book is and what it means for you in your relationship counseling. Yes. So the book that you're referring to is called Cupid's Poison Arrow, and it's written by Marnia Robinson, not by me. And Marnia spent 16 years, I think, researching and putting it all together. And we'll go into like what she's talking about in a, in a minute. I want to just mm -hmm. answer your um first question which no it's will you ask me again if you remember it oh yeah it's what is the biggest conflict that you see oh, in yeah. the couples and the marriages that you help yeah and it's actually tying in with you know with what Marnia was writing about so um now that I have read the book and I found this book four years ago I was already really working in this area and helping people sexually heal and so forth um what Marnia discovered or, you know, brought to the world is really was the missing piece for me. And I think it's the missing piece for most people. So what I believe partly is the problem is um, definitely society and how sex, you know, is treated in society or how we grow up with it because it's lost its sacredness. So when I was, when I was little, when I was born, pretty much when I was born, I mean, I don't remember right when I was born, but like pretty 
at a pretty young age, I was very aware of like sex and stuff. But to me, and my, my so my parents were very open because they were following Osho. Mm. and it was all about free love and so forth right for me I grew up with sex being something very natural and normal for adult people you know there was nothing weird about it It was like my mom explained to me like that's just something people do and it's like eating and drinking for them you know so it wasn't weird or anything and um also you know as European we're we're much like being naked is not something sexual necessarily so I grew up with a much more relaxed healthy um view around just the body you know and being naked and things like that and so um for me it just always felt like okay you know sex is just that's something that two people do that really love each other and it's it's the physical expression of their love for each other mm -hmm. that that's kind of like how I was and then when I started being sexually active and <clears throat> having experiences and being in the world and I grew up without television so you know eventually it's like was exposed to television and stuff. I was like, wow, this is very different from what I thought sex is, you know? And then I got very confused. And, you know, like then a goal became just be able to have casual sex and be, you know, it seemed like, oh, you you know, normal people can just have casual sex and that's normal, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I went down that route and that was very disturbing and not satisfying. And I got very sad and like, well, well no, this can't be it. <clears throat> so, what Marnia basically discovered is that biologically we have two programs for lovemaking. And in general, we only know the one that we know, which is, you know, have an or like have make love, have sex and have an orgasm. And basically um, if you can't orgasm, there's something wrong with you, right? Like, um, well, I'm not gonna go into it too much, but it seems like if you're like fully in your feminine, then you at least have like one orgasm a day, and you know, like orgasm is equals empowerment and sex sexual liberation and all of that. And um, what Marnia found though is that because because when we orgasm, men or women, um, we basically, biologically speaking, have have finished what we needed to do. Like we. Biologically speaking, we just need to mate with as many people as possible so that we ensure the survival of the species. Mm -hmm. And so what happens then is that biochem in our biochemistry, in our brain, um, and dopamine is connected to this, once we've had an orgasm, our entire inner biochemistry shifts, and it shifts in such a way that it impacts our perception. And so, you know, if we were totally in love with our partner before we had an orgasm, all of a sudden after an orgasm, we're like, can't stand you anymore you know I mean that's the extreme but in a sense it shifts from feeling good being positive seeing the world positive seeing the good things about your partner into all of a sudden almost like you have a negative lens put on mm. and, and that happens because of the neurobiochemistry or the chain reaction that happens when we have an orgasm so there is a second way to make love where you don't have an orgasm and when people hear this at first they're like oh my God, like, is my life going to be boring? Like, I'm not going to give up sex. Like, it's, sex is the only thing that I still have, you know, or like they get very scared because they think that they have to give up something um, for something that's less good, basically. It's mm -hmm. hard to imagine for people that there could be something that's even better. Mm -hmm. You know, because we don't know it, right? I mean, we don't know something. We can't imagine that it could be better. Right. Right, if you only know, if you only know the desert, if that's all you've known in your life, you, you can't imagine that there could be an oasis somewhere in mm -hmm. a sense, you know. So from my understanding about 
I'm just going to pause here and ask this question to clarify. My understanding about sex is that when a woman and a man come together, the woman can orgasm and then she can release so many feelings of joy, happiness, and can feel more connected to her partner. Whereas when the man ejaculates, he loses interest and he's done. Well, unfortunately, it's the same, like the orgasm has the same spike in dopamine in a female brain as it has in a masculine brain. And and it does feel, you know, when in the moment of the orgasm, and this is why people do it, is, you know, oh, we're so deeply connected in that moment, mm-hmm. you know, but right after for both people, I mean, it's more predominant in guys because they just turn, you know, in the extreme case, they just turn over and fall asleep, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, now that I have practiced this more and also with women that, that start practicing, you start noticing it as well, like in, in you as a woman as well. So the, the, the neurochemical, bio-neurochemical reaction is the same, whether it's a female brain or a masculine brain. Mm-hmm. And then there's more to it. Um, so in, in bonding-based lovemaking or in, in so the other way of lovemaking is called bonding-based lovemaking or Caretza or there's, there's other names for it also, but Basically, the way it is explained is that each body, the female and the masculine, has a plus and a minus pole. The feminine heart is the plus. The masculine heart is a minus. The the masculine genital is a plus. The feminine genital is a minus. If we just have regular sex, we basically just go between the plus and minus on the bottom. And, and there's videos on YouTube that really explain as well because it's really good if you can, can see it visually. Um, it creates a short circuits and all the energy that's generated just gets dispersed out. Basically, it never starts rising up and creating a circle. When you make bonding-based love or karetza, what it does is it starts from the plus, from the penis basically to the minus then it goes up into the feminine heart to the plus then from her heart it goes to the masculine minus and then from there his energy goes from his heart into his penis and then it creates a circle an energetic circle Mm. and you don't disperse the energy and because it's that's when 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 we make love in a way where our physiology or our electromagnetic energy fields are actually used in the proper way. And then what happens is it's almost like a light bulb, you know, where this becomes the battery and then the couple becomes like light. Mm. We become radiant because um, our circuits are used in the, in, the, in the right way. And the experience when you make bonding-based love is that you feel rejuvenated, you feel totally connected. Whether you're making love or you're not making love, you have like this energy that goes between you guys. It's it's almost like there's a field that gets created, an energetic magnetic field between the two. And it creates a lot of lightheartedness. It creates a lot of um, good good hormones in your, like it, 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 it releases hormones that actually support your immune system, your um, nervous system and all those things. Whereas when you, when you have an orgasm and dopamine gets released, it does this, you know, where you are like up and down, up and down, and it's super exhausting and draining for all your glands, for your nervous system, your immune system, all of that. So, Mm. yeah. Does that answer your question? Yes, Yes. it does. I'm a bit confused because, and I'm very, I'm on the same page as you. I am currently practicing non-ejaculatory sex. And for me in the past, having had had relationships where I was not orgasming, orgasming 
I didn't feel fulfilled. So I feel that if my partner isn't ejaculating, okay, I understand this. This is a concept that I'm very connected to. I see the value in it. But if I'm not orgasming, how can I feel fulfilled? Yeah. And so this is what most people, where most people run into problems because bonding based lovemaking is not having sex without, you know, and just not having an orgasm. And this is where most people go wrong because they'll still have regular sex and then just stop right before, you know. So you get really into the place where you're like wanting it and where the, the mammalian brain kicks in and wants the orgasm basically. And when you don't get that, then it's very frustrating. Bonding based lovemaking, you never that part of the brain never kicks in and a different part of the brain kicks in that has to do with really deep relaxation. So there's not a lot of thrusting. There's not a lot of movement. Penis doesn't even have to be hard. It's very mm -hmm. different. And a lot of just um, practicing the energetic connection. I mean, there is intercourse, you know, don't get me wrong. There's a very pleasurable um, all over your body. It's really, um, when when you are practicing bonding-based lovemaking, the intention is to give love to your partner, to your kisses, to your touch, to your genitals, to all of it. But the focus is not on the genitals anymore. That's a big difference. And then the other difference is also that you're not starting, you know, slower and going faster. You're starting slow and you're st staying slow. And then what happens is a completely different high. Mm. You know, you get more and more relaxed and all of a sudden you're like floating on cloud, cloud nine and you're like one with the universe and every kiss every touch just feels like oh my god <laughs> oh my god mm. you know? so i don't want to say it's it's also an, because it's not an, an orgasm is really like a you know like a spike kind of an experience so it's it's not a, an orgasm but it's a high definitely and it's more of a like floating on a cloud and just everything being completely sensual being like completely in tune and so it becomes fulfilling on a very different level mm. is this something that needs to be slowly practiced to let go of that desire to orgasm it definitely needs to be practiced and one of the blocks that people have is you know emotional stuff gets in the way so when i work with people we really teach them to work with the emotional stuff first they know how to um clear themselves basically and they know by the time like it, when I work with people I don't go into the bonding based lovemaking first I work with them for like six seven weeks before them to give them tools around <clears throat> learning to deal with your own emotions learning what to do to relax learning um how to work with your own brain so that you know you can be in a, getting into a um a lot of a lot of people have survival programs that don't allow them to relax you know because yeah. We, we're not programmed to live in bliss. We're programmed to like work hard and function and not relax and not have pleasure and bliss. And so when I work with people, we work on figuring out what those subconscious blocks or programs are from that we've all inherited from our ancestors. So we start there and, and um, then over time, when you become better and better at being in your body and knowing how to relax yourself, then it's easier to transition, you know? Mm. there's a couple other skills that I find very helpful with people have them before they actually try to transition their sex life. If that mm. makes sense. I would definitely love to learn more about those skills. Um, my question is, 
to practice this, going back to what you said about the emotional blocks, it seems like the man and the female both have to be aware of their feminine and masculine energies within each of them to then be able to come together and both feel vulnerable in that space. Mm -hmm. That's part of what the, I teach them. Mm -hmm. The conditioning of society is the man sticks it in the female and he's going to be in his masculine and she's going to be in his feminine. And that's what the sex act is going to be about. And that's what I was taught too. you know, that's what it's like at bars and clubs. And for people listening to this, that I'm sure that that's really their reality. Yeah. And not that it's, you know, there's still polarity in, in, in bonding based lovemaking. So a lot of, you know, a lot of women actually, even though they think they're in the feminine, are still in the masculine, right? So when I work with a couple, I do a lot of work on, around helping women really feel safe and really be able to be in their feminine. And for men, um, you know, the programming around masculinity is like, oh, if you can make a woman come, then you're like an awesome stud. Well, we don't want you to make her come. So now he doesn't feel like he's a stud anymore. So now he's like totally insecure. Mm -hmm. right? So helping men shift out of like, well, whatever you can do with your penis makes you a man. No, whatever you can do with your heart makes you a true man, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So it's, there, it's, it's still, you know, it's not about becoming androgynous and not having polarity. It's not about that at all. But really each and everyone stepping into our, into our wholeness, which for a masculine man means that most of the time he's in his masculinity, but he knows to be in his feminine when it's needed and for a woman you know most of the time in relationship at least she can be in her feminine and when she when it's needed she can turn the masculine on you know, like switch it on for she has to run her business or you know whatever it is mm -hmm. yeah so in this coming back to the emotional blocks and having the men feel comfortable not making a woman come have all the relationships that you've worked with you've seen that this has served a big purpose. I'm having a hard time not wanting to orgasm. So my projection of this is, okay, I see how embodied you are. I see how beautiful work that you do. So you're a beautiful example of this work coming to life. Yeah, so see, the people that come to me, they're at a place where there's a lot of st at stake. Mm-hmm. Or they're willing to do something differently. And in a sense, you know, when we have when we still want orgasms, like to be really crass, it's a dopamine addiction. Mm. And so with a lot of couples, when they come to me, especially if they, you know, for couples that have been together for a longer time and they haven't had been intimate, a lot of the guys have porn addictions, for example. And it's very much connected to dopamine addictions. And you know, I know obviously it's controversial of me to say that okay anybody who is, likes orgasms has a dopamine addiction but if you really look at the brain and really what happens you know so you, people come to a point where when they understand and that that's why I usually make people read the Cupid's Poison Arrow because there's so much science in that book that just kind of like hammers it into you they're like if you you know it, it's really clear if you keep engaging in this behavior over like, you know, maybe not after two or three years with a person, but after four or five years, you're going to get bored with them, mm. you know? And so the people that come to me, they are in that place where they're like, shit, what happened? Like we were so in love and now 
nothing. And when they read the book, then, then it explains it to them and they're like, oh my God. And they want what they had. They want the connection. They want the love. They want feeling good. And so they're, you know, they're differently motivated probably than you are right now. Right. Right. You know, so. So with this dopamine addiction and with this desire to orgasm at the end of it, there becomes an end point similar to, I guess, everything that creates such a rush of release and then that's it. Yeah. Our biology is just, our biology is stronger than our conscious mind. And so over time, and this is Marnia's theory is, you know, the reason why, I mean, any, I've done a lot of interviews with people in long-term relationships and there's very few people in long-term relationships who still enjoy each other, who still have a sex life, who's, you know, that, that engage in regular sex. There is, there is exceptions where people somehow they have figured something out where they, they don't know what Cupid's poison arrow, they have regular sex and they are in love with each other. And, you know, so that happens, but it's very, very rare. For the most part, people that have been together for longer, it completely goes away. And also that's what people believe, you know, it's, it's pretty much accepted that the longer you're together, the more, you know, the, it's just normal that that part goes away, you know, that your attraction for the other person goes away and but it doesn't have to be that way. So do the people that see you, it's your kind of their last hope they're about to be done with their relationship and they're like, let's try this one last thing or they want to work it out. No, I mean, sometimes yeah, but really there, there are people that they have great lives and they have a great relationship and they just don't have a sex life. And they're like, dang, you know, I'm like in my forties and I'm in my fifties and I have this great life. So do I just like not have sex for the rest of my life or like, and then they're like, no, we want that too, you know? So how can we, how can we bring it back? How can we, and it's scary mm. for people because it's very emotional. You know, it's, they have gotten so used to not having that part mm. and getting their hopes up. And, you know, it's, it's scary. Like I don't want to get my hopes up and then it won't work, you know, because it hasn't worked in the last five years. So why would it work now? You know? But, right. Yeah. So do you find that the men or the women or both are mostly having a harder time with this? Because as much as I feel like, women there's many things about sex that doesn't serve them in society but i also feel like men are not supposed to have emotions there's a lot of things that the man has to deal with in addition to being the i need to pleasure this woman i feel like it's uh, it's not acknowledged enough how difficult it is for men in society today especially with the sexual act yeah, so it's both. Um, you know, it's it depends on the couple. There, there's couples where um, she has just, you know, she's had two kids and just no libido and no interest and just tired. And, you know, he loves her and leaves her alone kind of thing and just, you know, focuses on building cars or sports or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Going out with his friend. Um, then there's women who have a higher sex drive and for some reason the men, you know, have lost their sex drive and 
are very it's it's for everybody it's super embarrassing and a lot of shame around it so there's all kinds of different scenarios there's men when they read the book first they're like oh my god there's no way i'm gonna get blue balls like i can't do this mm -hmm. and then there's women that are like i i've never had a great sex life and i want to just you know learn to like be multi-orgasmed because i have never had that in my life you know so it's it's a whole spectrum mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I don't force people obviously to do this. I educate them and I tell them and I give them tools so that they can start playing with it and experiencing it. And then generally if couples really commit to it and I tell them, you know, just practice it, just do it for a month, mm -hmm. commit to it for a month and see how you feel and see the difference. And when they can really do that, they they feel different. It's like, you know, when you've been on a regular diet and you start eating healthy at first, you're like, oh, there's no way I can live without coffee and alcohol and whatever mm -hmm. and then you do it and you're like oh my god i feel so much better <laughs> and then when you go back to it it's like i can't drink this anymore you know it's making me sick it's a similar mm. kind of process and experience mm. do you feel like children that are first becoming sexually active that this is something that they should learn about or do you think that they have to go through the experience of oh have sex with alcohol and oh have sex with weed to then come to this place well, in an ideal world, you know, children would know that there's, because it's hugely empowering when, you know, bonding-based lovemaking is a way to have fun and and enjoy your sexuality without getting pregnant also, mm. you know? And so I know of one couple that was raised in this way and that's all they know and they're amazing together. I mean, you know, I uh, with my own daughter, I've given her the book I've tried and she's just like, whatever, you know, so she has to, well, yeah, cause it's like mom. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but in an ideal world, children would know because here's the other thing. I believe that, um, we as a people have been hugely suppressed, um, you know, by the church and by people in power. I believe that people in power knew of the second, second way. I believe that Jesus and Mary Magdalene, that they were a couple and that they knew of bonding-based lovemaking and because they knew to make be lovers in that way, they were able to generate so much energy with, between them that that's why they were able to perform the miracles. Mm. So I believe that this is true and I believe that people in power know this. And so I also believe that people in power made damn sure that we didn't know of the second way so that we would get pregnant all the time and that you know we would be basically because we get pregnant the whole the way relationships were shaped and the dependencies on each other it's only because women get pregnant right if women weren't getting pregnant they wouldn't depend on men for providing right so there's you know there's a whole larger conversation to this so i believe that if we knew this we would be much freer as a people and also couples would be much more like powerful together because they would have much more energy for themselves and to themselves. They would know how to generate it and they wouldn't be enslaved by the, you know, oh, now you have like 10 kids and now you just have to work to feed those mouths, you know? Mm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. When you had your child, were you in the bonding lovemaking phase? Mm -hmm. You discovered it after? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. But I really wanted to have, I mean, at that point, I really wanted to have a child. So, yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. it, it's a lot of people, you know, it's like, a, especially when you're religious, you know, that's like, that's your lot in life. You're just going to be a mom. Right. Yeah. And the, the dads just have to provide and that's it. 
And in Germany at the time, was sex something that was talked about? I know that you mentioned that okay, with the body and your family being a part of Osho, it was very open, but was it still not a topic of conversation? Well, you know, I mean, it wasn't talked about every day, but it was just, it wasn't a tab- it wasn't a taboo or it wasn't, you know, like people didn't get put in jail for nudity, you know, it wasn't so stigmatized, I guess. Or, right. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely an important conversation because I feel like the sexed act is so confusing for people and there's so much ego involved now that we have taken away the sacredness of yeah. what it really is and what it can do for people. Yeah, I just grew up with the feeling like it's it's something normal that adult two adult people that love each other do, you know? Mm-hmm. There's nothing weird about it or I mean they didn't do it in front of us obviously, but right it's just normalized or not hidden for people who want to connect more deeply with their partners and are listening to this conversation what are some tools that you mentioned before that you share with the people that you work with before going right into the no orgasm phase yeah that's a good question um part of really being embodied and knowing what's right for you is learning what it feels like in your body. And in order to be in your body, you need, well, in order to feel what's right and good in your body, you need to be in your body. And a lot of people have a lot of trouble being in their bodies because of the traumas that have happened. So I do a lot of, I, I start doing constellation work with them, family constellations, which is, you know, the deep trauma work. And then I give them tools um, so that when they're triggered, they, they, learn how to basically untrigger themselves it has to do with breath work and a lot of like just body body centered somatic experiencing i don't know if, if you know if you've heard of that mm-hmm. um and then really learning to 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 feel what it feels like when you have a yes for something and when you have a no and then also teaching them um ways to express themselves or listening to themselves so that they, they, you know, most people are so disconnected from themselves. They don't even know what feels good or what feels right. Right. So just helping some, some things are very, very practical, just like helping them create like 10 minutes in the day where they just sit and check in with themselves. You know, mm. like They're not, they're not groundbreaking tools, but just helping these people to make the time and really do it. And in the beginning, they don't feel anything and they're all in their heads, you know, and, just giving them support on how how to like relax and really connect and Mm. yeah so would you say that this is helping people connect back to their intuition yeah to their intuition to the you know i basically help them to be blissful beings within themselves that are connected to their soul their spirit so when i work with people work on the physical the emotional the spiritual and energetic <clears throat> so that they can just, you know, it's, it sounds so corny, just be who they truly are, but in a sense, mm-hmm. just for them to, you know, really be free to be who they truly are with being in tune with themselves, feeling feeling connected, feeling the guidance, um, creating rhythms and routines and, and bringing just, the, you know, bringing the sacred back into their everyday lives and a, a different pace and a different awareness. Mm. Going back, a question that just came up for me is, has this been more difficult for people to do who have had porn addictions 
So with the whole porn industry and that being a part of their life, how has that separated people from their true essence? (laughs) That's a good question. Well, you know, there's the light and there's the dark and the basically porn and, and things that really play on the dopamine addiction with most TV shows, you know, anything that like creates, um, overstimulation in in the brain and addiction therefore lots of lots of foods too you know like lots of foods are are created in a way where um they stimulate the same pleasure cycle with the dopamine in the brain um to me that's all like the 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 devil's work right to keep us in our more animal animalic lower nature right to keep us stuck Mm -hmm. so we we don't think freely we don't feel freely we are not we're not noticing the things that are wrong we're kind of like sleepwalking and not speaking up and not saying hey you know i want to be free i want to be myself i'm a a creative human being i want to create you know Mm -hmm. it's just like oh i have to do this and i'm just like stuck in the yeah kind of like the rut and they don't feel like they have power because they're literally entranced in these lower vibrational frequencies so um for somebody that, you know, whether it's porn or alcohol or other addictions that keep you in a lower vibrational frequency, it's harder for them at first, you know, but also their suffering is greater. So sometimes it's easier for them because they have, you know, they're like, I have suffered enough, you know, they mm. have a higher motivation. Like they're like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I, I want to feel, I want to not be numb and not needing substances or things to because they're you know, their their happiness is constantly depending on something outside of themselves right, right. they don't get and i'm saying they you know it's the same for me you know it was the same for me when i didn't get my thing i would just be like completely depressed and so you know in 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 essence i really helped them to know what they need to do to source it from within themselves so that they can become happy and stable and joyous right mm higher vibrational basically and when that happens then it becomes easier because that starts feeling so much better you know Mm. the work that you do is so powerful and I honor that you have been able to share your story and use that story to help so many people and couples and relationship thrive so I really really honor it's really beautiful and you're a very beautiful person How can people find you? Please share again the book, where people can find it, how people can find you on Instagram, and if you have a website that people can go to. Yeah, the best way is really on YouTube. It's just YouTube and then my name, and I don't know if you put a link, but my name is C A R O L I N H A U S E R, Carolyn Hauser. So just YouTube forward slash Carolyn Hauser. I have lots of videos on there, you know, for on all these topics where you can get started. And then on the YouTube videos, there is a link to book a, a free session with me. If you want, if anybody wants to talk with me, um, you can book a time with me to talk. My website is also just carolynhauser.com. On Instagram, I'm Carolyn Isabel, L-L-E, Isabel with L-L-E, Hauser. Um, but YouTube is really the best way. And also, if you write something in the comments, I'll connect with you. Facebook is same, Carolyn Hauser, so... If you Google Carolyn Hauser, you will find me all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm wondering, I don't know if it's of value, but I do have a training that's uh, a video training that's called Five Shifts to uh, Reconnecting and Bringing Intimacy Back. So if you want to, I can send that to you and you can maybe post it under the. Absolutely. I'll add all of this information to the bio for this episode. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, it would mean so much to me if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate you so much if you have already done so. Have a beautiful day and talk to you soon.